Father, we are so grateful for your mercy. Um, we are grateful for your goodness to us and uh, how you bless us. Father, we don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. And gas is expensive, but we can manage. So I thank you for the blessings you've given us. And Father, I just ask that because of the gratitude in our hearts that we have towards you for what you have done for us, that we would be willing to give back to help others in the community, others throughout the world. And um, we just thank you for that opportunity. We know that as we do so, we worship you in our giving. And so just bless this offering um, and help the church uh, distribute the offering in the way that you would have them to do. And I thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I could be wrong. I have been that several times. More than I can remember. And if I try to give you a number of how many times I would be wrong, I have been wrong. I would be wrong again. <coughs> but I think I know what you're thinking. We're going to get out of here early. Put that out of your mind. Put that out of your mind. If you would think that, you're going to be wrong. But you would be in good company because I've been there before too. Hey, <laughs> uh, yeah, I love you guys. You're fun. Um, our text today is 2 Corinthians, no surprise, chapter 8, 1 through 15. It's long, all right? And, um, and there's just a lot here. And it's excellent text. We have titled the uh, sermon, and I say we because I get help with that. Um, and uh, Timothy asks me every Sunday morning, do you have a title? And I'm going, yes, pastor. And he says, no, for the sermon. No, nope, don't have one of those. So we work through the text. We look at things sometimes and we go, there it is. Fellowship of Giving is the title for the text for the sermon today. And I think you'll understand why that is there, why we chose that as we get into the text, if I have enough time, okay? Fellowship of Giving. Hey, I won't keep, keep you too late, okay? But I intend to get through the whole text if I can. So if you have sleeves, you need to roll them up. Roll up your sleeves, buckle your seatbelt. We're going to get started. We're going to go. I, I, I think that... Um, that you will, uh, you will connect with the text today, even though maybe from the beginning of it, when you're reading it, if you've read it through this past week, you go, I don't know what he's going to talk about. That's okay. I didn't either. God did. And we'll see in just a few minutes. Will you bow with me, please? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. Thank you for this text. God, I thank you for the um, grace that was given to the Macedonians, the grace that you gave to Paul as he talked to the Corinthians about giving. God, I pray that you will um, also give me that grace. And Father, you will give us that grace in this fellowship of giving also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read the text. The Apostle Paul writes, again, uh, under the whole leadership of the Holy Spirit, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That is cool. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. 
And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Father, thank you for your word. Bless it for spiritual nourishment of this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So what we see here is this Jerusalem project that, um, that Paul and even Titus had, um, had brought to the Corinthians was to make, uh, take an offering, take an offering to send to the churches, to the church in Jerusalem so that they would have enough to live on. You see, what happened was the church in Jerusalem was now impoverished. They were um, lacking in their need. They had, um, in the early times of the church, they had sold everything they had, given the money to the apostles so that they could distribute it to the poor as everyone had need. So what happened was they eventually became impoverished because they had given up everything and sold everything. Now, not everything, probably. They had a summer house somewhere, they sold that. They had extra property somewhere, they sold that. They still had a place to live, but they didn't really have a way to make extra money so that they could... um, survive uh, persecution and famine and those kind of things, and they were becoming impoverished. And the Apostle Paul was trying to get the churches in Macedonia um, to take an offering, to give an offering to the Jerusalem churches. Now, we're going to talk about the reason for that here in a little bit, but he, it, it wasn't just so they wouldn't starve, okay? That's important, but that wasn't the only reason, okay? And so he's, um, he and Titus had brought this idea and this possibility to the Corinthians about a year before this, and they thought, well, that's a good idea. We can do that. And then problems arose in the Corinthian church. Somebody, it seems like, and they don't know this exactly, that this is exactly why they quit doing it, but it seems to me that the greatest possibility for the reason for them to stop taking this offering is because there came in somebody who was opposed to the Apostle Paul. And if you're opposed to the Apostle Paul, he's going to be opposed to what he's doing. You've never faced opposition, have you? I mean, we never, none of us ever have. But when they face opposition, if they don't like Paul, well, they're not going to like what he's doing, all right? And so um, uh, they stopped giving that offering. And so the Apostle Paul now is talking to them about the churches of Macedonia, how they, in their great poverty, begged, implored Paul for this opportunity, this, this, um, uh, this blessing of giving to others. So... Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. We make known to you. We want you to see what God has done 
through and in the churches of Macedonia. And there were several of those. I think I remember Berea and Philippi, and there's one more, and I can't remember which one it was. Um, but uh, these churches, even in their deep poverty, uh, wanted to give to this offering so that the churches in Jerusalem would have enough to be able to survive and so that the children and the uh, family members would have enough to where they could eat and still live. And in fact, he says, we want you to know the grace of God. That's that word charis. It's the same word that we think of when we think of not only, okay, so for them, this grace was the grace of the ability to give, okay? Because giving is a grace. But God bestows grace on us when he sent his son to die on the cross, when he saves us from our sin. And it's the exact same word. So there is grace given by God when he sent his son. And we, because we have received that grace, are to exercise grace in our giving in our, and in our love for others. And the Apostle Paul is trying to show this and tell the Corinthians, you quit taking the offering. It's time to pick it back up. You quit trying to help the Jerusalem church. You show grace in so many other ways. But if you really want to, you know, talk is cheap. But if you really want to, you know, walk the walk, then it's time to pick up that offering again. So he was doing this in a, in a, in a very gracious way, okay, by telling them of the examples of the Macedonian churches. And what happened with the Macedonian churches, that it says, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, they decided they couldn't give enough or give anything to help out the churches in Jerusalem. You know that's not what it says. It says it abounded in the riches of their liberality. They gave so much above what they could afford. They not only gave what they could afford, they gave more than they could afford, even though they were in poverty. Now, there are several reasons why uh, they might have been in poverty, um, and one of those is um, social ostracism. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They, um, they weren't worshiping the same gods of the people in their town. They were worshiping the one true God, not the fake gods and the idols of their city. And so because of that, they maybe, probably, likely were not allowed to go sell in the marketplace. Because in go sell in the marketplace, what you had to do was you had to make an offering to the God of that specific area, that specific town. And Christians were not willing to do that. Now, it appears that the Corinthians were, at this point still, willing to do that. They hadn't gotten away from all of that. That's why he tells them to get away from idols, okay? But the Bereans and the Philippians and the others, they were not willing to do that. And because of that, they had a hard time making a living. There's also the fact that, um, uh, that there had been a lot of war. And so, you know, when that happens, the economy is bad, and, uh, uh, and that was difficult for them. And then there's also the fact that the Romans had colonized all of that area, and they took the, um, the natural resources that would bring these cities and these areas great wealth, they took it for themselves. And so now these cities, these areas were in great poverty. And he says, listen, in this great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, great, isn't that something? Great trial of affliction, abundance of joy. Can you have abundance of joy in a great trial of affliction? Yes, you can. Uh, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to think about. When you're going through suffering, when you're going through pain, when you're going through troubles, it's difficult to imagine that you would have a great um, uh, abundance of joy, but they did, and because of that, they had this joy because they knew what God had done in their hearts through Jesus Christ, and so because of that, it abounded in the riches of their liberality. They gave more they could, than they could afford to give, for I bear, bear witness that according to their ability, according to their ability, I want you to see that word and that phrase there because that's so important. Nobody in any congregation 
that I have been a part of, where I have been pastor, where I have preached, has been asked to give more than their ability. You know, in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, they taught the tithe. I believe in the tithe. We don't see that word so much, or I don't even see it at all in the New Testament. But we do see proportional giving, don't we? According to their ability. Okay? So what is proportionate is a percentage, right? I think a 10% is a good place to start, right? 10% is the tithe. Um, and so every week, Kathy and I write our checks. Actually, I write them every week. She writes one a month. Because she gets paid once a month. Okay? I, however, I get paid. Would you believe this? I get paid nine times a month. So I write one check for my bus driving tithe. I write one check for my uh, tithe from pastoring, being paid here. And then w I add in the amount that I get for substitute teaching. Okay? 10% plus a little bit because I feel like I should. And so um, we don't so much as preach the tithe. We preach the tithe plus a percentage, a proportionate amount. And so if you have somebody in your congregation, and I'm just going to throw out round numbers as much as I can, that makes $100,000, then their tithe throughout the year should be something like $10,000. Now, all of a sudden, that sounds like a lot, right? And that sounds like a lot all at once. But it's not all at once. It's every week as you lay it aside. And that's what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians to do, to lay aside every week so there wouldn't be any collection at any time. But guess what? <coughs> if you've got somebody making $50,000, they're not expected to give 10000 Okay? Their tithe is not $10,000. Their tithe is $5,000. That's 10%. Right? So, according to your ability. Well, I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. Some of, to some of them, we're given more than, quote, a 10%. More than what they really could give. Some people look at this text and go, um, when they talk about all this, they think that Christians should sell everything they have and just live on the meagerest of funds and give the rest of it to feed the hungry and to take care of people and to send missionaries. Um, Paul's not saying that here. He's not saying you have to sell everything. Okay, He's not saying that you have to put your, in fact, in the, in the last part of the text, he says, um, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Okay? But he's saying, in accordance to what you have, in um, according to their ability. Yes, and beyond their ability. And this is what the Macedonian churches give. They gave a beyond their ability, and they were freely willing. Didn't have to beg them to do this. In fact, the begging came the other way. Isn't that cool? Isn't that something? The pastor, Paul, didn't have to beg them to give. In fact, he seems like it seemed like he was trying to say, no, you guys don't have to participate in this. And they said, yes, we want to. We want to give. We want to help out. We want to send money to the Jerusalem Christians so that they can have enough to live on. We want to be a part of this fellowship and of this grace of giving. We want to give. And it's imploring us with much urgency, it says. So these Macedonian churches were begging Paul to let them give of this offering so that he could take it to the Jerusalem church so that they would see the grace that God had bestowed on them and so that they could survive through these tough times. And I love this phrase, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift. That's the money. That's the offering. And I want you to know something. Um, Paul saw this gift as so important that he was part of the delivery team. He didn't call, uh, you know, the postal service. He didn't call, he didn't call FedEx. He didn't even call UPS. 
okay? He didn't even have some of his best, most trusted apostles or, pardon me, uh, disciples to take it and deliver it. He went with them because it was that important to him. And we're going to talk about why it was so important to him here in a little bit. And so um, they begged him that they would be able to give it and he could receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Now, I want you to see something in here. This is pretty cool, okay? The fellowship, that's that word koinonia. There is no closer fellowship that you can have in the scriptures that's defined in the scriptures than that word koinonia. That's a word that describes family, and in the Christian sense, it's family because of the blood of Christ. And they wanted for people to understand that this was, that they were family, that these Gentiles were family with these Jews because of the blood of Christ, because of what Christ did for them. And the ministering of the saints, that's an interesting word. Because does anybody know what that word is? Anybody ministering? What's that Greek word? Throw it out here. You've got it. You know it. Diakonia. All right. That's the same word that is used in Acts chapter 6. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 6? The, um, the uh, Hebrews were not giving enough food to the Greek widows. Remember that? You know the story. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or the Greeks, uh, because of their, their widows uh, were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's that word, diakonia, okay? That's the word from which we get our word deacon, okay? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continuing to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Guess what word that is, ministry? It's the same root word, diakonia. Isn't it interesting that there are some people that are called to serve tables and some people that are called to serve the word of God? You know? I mean, I, I, I some people... <laughs> I, just, I love that whole thing. And the disciples said that we are not going to serve tables. We're going to serve the ministry of the word. We're going to serve you the word. Okay? And so when you get over here, you'll see that same word, ministering to the saints, the fellowship of ministering to the saints. Um, and in, um, in this case, it's serving them through giving them the uh, money that they needed to take care of their bills and to take care of uh, feeding their families. And not only as we had hoped, he says, you know, there's so much more that, that um, I really want to share. One of the things that we see here in this one is that, uh, before we get on to the next one, is that the apostles there in Acts 6, the apostles wanted to spend their time not serving the food. They wanted to spend their time studying the word and sharing the word. And they wanted to do that so that the people would be able to go out and to share. We look in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Verses 11 and 12. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so what the apostles wanted to do was they wanted to spend their time training people to build up the body of Christ. They wanted to spend their time not just you know, feeding people. That's important. 
you can't go out and share the gospel if you're dying of starvation. So that's important. But they wanted to make sure that what they were doing was sharing the word so that people would grow in Christ, so that they would go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. I have a sign that I, um, I, I stole the, um, this saying. All right, It's great when you steal sayings because they still have it, right? And so you haven't defrauded them, okay? And so I stole this sign, and uh, it's from uh, North American Mission Board. And it says, our churches must become mission outposts who send their members into the harvest to live as missionaries. I believe that's what the Apostle Paul was working on doing here with uh, these disciples. I believe that's what the uh, other apostles were working on when they wanted to serve the word instead of serving tables. And I believe that's what we ought to be doing. I believe that's who we ought to be. And if you come to church on Sunday morning just to get a good feeling, and I hope you do, I hope you enjoy the songs, I hope you enjoy the sermon, I hope you learn something from what we're doing here. I hope your worship is true. But I also hope and pray that as you hear the word, that you're challenged to be the kind of witness out in the world that God calls us to be for the equipping of the saints. And so, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. You see, any time, any time we want to do anything that is um, uh, going to benefit, uh, well, working for God, we give ourselves to him first. They first gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to the apostles, to Paul and to his, uh, and to his other fellow missionaries. Uh, not only as we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. You see, you can't do what God calls you to do unless you surrender to him. You've got to say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'll do it. I'm here. Um, and sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, there's going to be problems. There's going to be troubles. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have failures. You're going to be um, attacked. You're going to be um, demeaned. People are going to call you names. You're going to be rejected. We see that not just with the Apostle Paul. We saw that also with Jesus Christ, except no failures. We saw him attacked. You cannot serve and do what God wants you to do unless you surrender to what he's called you to do. The Apostle Paul did that, and he's asking them also to surrender here to the will of God as the Macedonians had done. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. It seems, though, that um, uh, Titus was one of the ones that encouraged the Corinthians to give that started this whole process because it may not have been the, the Apostle Paul that started that. And you see, sometimes, sometimes the things of the church are better done and some of these actions are better done by somebody other than the pastor. Sometimes there's a connection that needs to be made and it's better if it's somebody else in your congregation than it is the pastor. I don't have any specific uh, examples of that, but sometimes that is true. And it seems like, at least at that point, the best person for this task, for calling the Corinthians to start this offering, was Titus. And now the Apostle Paul is saying, we urged him that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you. So he would encourage you. So now, what have we got here? What we've got is this letter, but we've got this letter being sent carried to the Corinthians by Titus so that he can encourage them to continue taking up this offering 
so that they won't be lax in what they promised they were going to do. But as you abound in everything, now I want you to see something here. This is important, okay? Um, because it's easy sometimes to find the negative, right? I mean, how many of us, you know, I mean, Kathy is so good at being an encouragement. And I'm pretty good at encouraging little kids. Don't you love working with little kids? <laughs> See, I'm pretty good at encouraging little kids, but I'm not always as good as encouraging adults as I need to be. And Kathy is a very positive, optimistic type person. And me, and whenever somebody says, you need to do this, I say, yes, but what about this and this and this and this? And it comes across as I'm very negative about it or I just don't want to do it. It's not a good idea. And that's not always what I mean, always. Sometimes it's, okay, we need to do this, but there's questions we have to answer before we start this process. So the Apostle Paul, he looks at this and he says, they need to give, and he knows that, but he comes across from the positive side of the whole thing. But as you abound in everything, look at this. And, and, and he's not being manipulative here, okay? He's just being straight honest and using the positive side of what they've done and who they are in order to get them, to encourage them to continue in this other one. So here's what he says. But as you abound in everything, in faith, they had great faith. They had faith that Jesus was the Son of God and that they believed that he was uh, the one that would give them um, eternal life. But they also had faith for other things, for miracles, for healings, for all that. So as you abound in faith, in speech, some of them were real good speakers. In knowledge, they claimed to have, and many of them did, great knowledge. They understood things so that they could explain them to other people. In all diligence and in your love for us. So he's hitting them with the things that they were good at. He says, see that you abound in this grace also. Giving them all the positive things about who they are and about what they've learned. And he says, there's one thing that I can't give you praise on. He doesn't say that, but that's what it really says. So abound in this grace also. What's that grace? That's that grace of giving, that fellowship of giving, so that they can continue this offering, finish filling up the offering so that they can take it to the Jerusalem church so that they will have enough to live on. And then he says, I speak not by commandment. Okay? Now there's only one time in here that anything he says is a commandment. I speak not by commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I want you to think about something. Somebody can say, I love you. Somebody can say, I care. But how do you know for sure they really do? You see, love is a verb. It's an action. Okay? Love is not a feeling. You can look it up in the dictionary. It has a V next to it, not an N. Okay? It's not a thing. It's an action. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And so when we talk about love, we ought to see some actions. And if their love for Paul was great and their love for Christ was great, then they ought to see some kind of action taking place. And so the sincerity of their love ought to be shown by the giving of this offering to the saints in Jerusalem. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this one, that through that though he was rich, yet for our, your sake he became poor. Now he doesn't say for our sakes, but for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. All right, so let's think about this. Imagine Jesus Christ, eternal in the heavens, living in the presence of the Holy Father for eternity past. He gives all of that up 
streets of gold, pearly gates, however you want to envision heaven. But the main thing right there was he was for eternity past in the presence of his father. Never out of communion with him. He gave that up to come to earth. To be born just like we were. Most of us. Some were seen like him. To be born of a woman just like us. To suffer through all of the same different things. Hunger and everything else. And sadness and sorrow. Just like us. To walk on streets of dust and dirt and mud. Instead of streets of gold. To be rejected by his family. By people in his own town. To be rejected by his own uh, kinsmen, the Jews. To be accused falsely of blasphemy, to be tried, to be whipped, to be nailed to a cross and crucified. He gave all of that in heaven up so that he could do this, so that by his poverty, we could become rich. Now, I want you to make sure you understand something. I want to make sure you understand that this is not talking about money rich and money poverty. It's about the fullness of being you know, the, the, the change from being in heaven with God to being here with us. And so by his poverty, we might become rich. So he came down, he took on your sin and he took on my sin so that, guess what, we don't have to worry about it anymore and we can, if you will, go up and live with the Father and Jesus for eternity. So by his poverty, we became rich. So this is the first example that he gives. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through, through his poverty you might become rich. And in this I give you advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, so that's how we know it was about a year ago, a year before this, but now also you must complete the doing of it. Now that is the only time he gives a commandment. That's the only time in this whole text where there's a command that now you must complete the doing of it. You ever just talk to anybody and ask them, hey, can you do this for me? Can you help out? Can you, uh, um, I need you to, uh, can you help do this? And maybe it's teach a Sunday school class. Maybe it's do one of, I don't know, whatever. Can you come and uh, mow my yard? Can you come and put a garage door in my garage? You know, thanks, Ron. And then they say, yeah, sure, I'll be there. And they never show up, and they never let you know they're not coming. See, that's kind of what the Corinthians did. We'll help you. We'll give you some money so that you can help feed your family and feed the poor. They made that promise, and yet they backed out of that promise. And he says, that's not good. That's just bad. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete it. That is, there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion of what you desire, of what you have. So, can you imagine if the churches in Macedonia or if the Jerusalem church heard what the, the Corinthians were going to do? Yeah, we thought we had more coming from Corinth, but they changed their mind. They're not sending you anything. You think about the reputation that would be lost. And so he said, it's to your advantage in that way and probably in another way 
Because you see, there is a fellowship of giving. There is a grace of giving. And there is a certain, do I want to call it abundance of joy? In giving to help others. I'll give you advice. And it's to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, now you must also complete the doing of it. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. And so here we see this whole idea of, of, a, of an equality. Okay? Nobody's asked to give more than a certain percentage, or nobody is, and he's not even, not even coercing anybody. You know? We're going to ask um, again for, um, I don't know if Gayla even has the details yet, but I got a text from Gina just a little bit ago, an, a message, and she said, hey, is it okay if we um, take up an offering so we can feed some of the families of the school where I teach? And I said, absolutely. So pretty soon Gayla's going to be accepting some of that money. All right, you know how I do that all the time? I say, hey, if you have a $5 bill, $10 bill, $20, even a $100 bill, you can throw it in there and help us out. And that's about the extent where I, you know, no coercion, you know, a $1 bill, whatever you have, you can throw in. And the Apostle Paul wasn't using coercion to get them to give. He was just trying to see that anything they give is good. And some people can afford to give a dollar. Some people can afford to give five or ten or twenty or fifty or a hundred. You don't give a hundred if you can only afford one. But if you can afford a hundred, you don't just back off and say, I'm keeping that ninety-nine, I'm just giving one. You give according to what you can. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So if you have that $100 bill in your pocket and you know you've got to spend it on something else or most of it on something else, and if you give that 100 you aren't going to get that, and it's absolutely something you need, don't give that 100 Maybe you should give part of it, but not that whole 100 because you don't want to burden yourself on that. And this is what he's talking about. I mean that others should, do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality. That now it is, at this time, your abundance may, be, may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Now you can look at this in several ways. You can look at it all <coughs> completely financial. You see the Corinthians, by the way, <coughs> I think at this point, we're Corinth. Not that we're selfish or that we're worshiping idols, but that we are financially strong at this point. It's possible that sometime soon we will not be as financially strong as we are now here at Irvine Avenue Baptist Church. And so the question is, what are we going to do if that happens? What's going to happen if we as Corinth, financially strong, turn into Berea or Philippi or the Macedonian churches? What are we going to do? Are we going to then do what Corinth did? Are we going to turn inward, focus on ourselves? Or are we going to continue to give and to take care of others and to help them to give that call? By the way, I want you to see that this also, to the Jerusalem church, was a ministry. There's a difference between a mission and a ministry, in my mind. A mission is when you're going talking to non-Christians about Jesus Christ and trying to get them to understand the gospel. A ministry is when you're helping other Christians. And so this was a ministry, a serving to them. And so, you know, We've got to be careful as we look at um, the, the giving of, at Irvine Avenue Baptist Church and how we're, at this point, doing pretty well. What's going to happen if things change? What are we going to do? Are we going to draw in? See, the important thing is that we 
continue to focus not just on our growth here. By the way, you know why we have spiritual growth, why we have these kind of things here? We have these kind of things here, Sunday school, preaching, worship, so that we can all grow as Christians, so that we can, like I said, go out into the neighborhood and into the church to live as missionaries. That's what it's about. It's not just about coming to church on Sunday morning and singing some really awesome songs and hearing a sermon. It's about going out from here, sharing the gospel with others. And so if all we're here for is to listen to this so we can gain, then there's a little bit more maturity that needs to come than for those who are ready to go out and tell. So, this idea of abundance and of lack and of equality, it might be that he's talking about, right now, Corinthians, you've got plenty. You've got plenty. They don't have enough. You need to give so that they'll have enough. Maybe when they recover and they have enough, you're going to be in poverty again and they're going to be able to help you. That might be what he's talking about. But it might also be talking about the idea that the gospel came from Jerusalem. The gospel came from the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, Jesus Christ. And they supplied the Corinthians' lack. And now it's time for the Corinthians to provide their lack. For the Corinthians, their lack was a savior. And the Jews supplied that. And they sent Paul on a mission so that he could tell the Greeks and the Gentiles about Jesus Christ. And now they don't have any money. And the supply that they're supposed to give is a supply of money and finances so that they can continue to live and not starve to death. So you can look at that in either of those ways. And then the Apostle Paul goes back to Scripture one more time. And he says, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. I don't remember exactly where that's found in the Old Testament, but what I do remember is that he's talking about the manna from heaven. And what was commanded of them was, to, um, to collect enough for one night, for one day. Get up in the morning, you collect enough for one day. Do not collect any and try to leave it. Eat what you have so that you'll have enough, but not that you'll have any you can store. You know what happens? Somebody, don't know how many people, but some people ignored what Moses said. They collected extra, and it rotted, and it gathered worms. Now, I don't know how that relates exactly to us gathering more than what we need. I do know that if I leave leftovers in the refrigerator too long, well, nobody else in the house wants to get rid of it. But I don't know how it goes with money, you know? Does what we have, if we don't put it to good use, does it turn to, to does it turn rotten? There's a point where I guess that's true, where if we just, and by the way, I think saving for retirement is a good idea. I mean, really, okay? I think if you're not saving for retirement, there's going to be some problems later on down the road, okay? So I think that's a good idea. Um, and I, I honestly, I think it's even good stewardship. And I use that biblical word, stewardship, and I think it's something God expects of us. Because if we're not going to work all of our lives, we have to have something to take care of us so nobody else has to, right? I think that's a good thing. But there's a point where we've got to be careful about saving so much and buying so much and building so much that we're hoarding our stuff. We're living way beyond what we need to. I know that there's some biblical principles and and I think about my wife, 
my life, my family. I love it when I get a raise. I love it when I get a raise because I know that, guess what, paying those bills are going to be easier. One of the things that I've tried to not do when I get a raise is to raise my standard of living. Okay? Because when that happens, now the bills are still as difficult to pay as they were before. One of the things that I do when I get a raise is I raise my tithe. And I told you I write, I get paid nine times a month. And so I write a check every Sunday, two checks every Sunday for my tithe. And so I'm trying to use what God gives me in a wise, good stewardship way. But I'm trying not to be the kind of person that just builds and gathers more. I have a 2010 Ford Flex. I love it. It's fantastic. If I had the money to buy the original 1966 Batmobile, I wouldn't do it. It's my favorite car in the world, but I wouldn't do it. That would be a crazy, idiotic use of $60 million. <laughs> Six million, I don't know for sure. There are so many better things to use that money for than to buy a car like that. So I'm not buying more. I don't want it to go rotten in my front yard, in my driveway. And so the scripture is teaching us here that giving is a good thing. By the way, I want to, uh, and, and that it, it, it has a fellowship, by the way. I want you to go back to that word there. Um, fellowship of giving. There's a point where as you give your offering, you have fellowship with those who receive it. We know a few missionaries. We've had a few come visit. You wouldn't know them if we weren't part of and giving to the cooperative program. You wouldn't know, I mean, when you see them come and they share pictures of their mission and what they do, you wouldn't know the people that they work with except for the fact that you give money to the cooperative program and help support those missionaries. Now, we wouldn't know them because we're not over there. But what's really cool is if you were to go over there and to work with one of the missionaries that has spoken here at Urban Avenue Baptist Church, you would feel a strong kinship with them and with the people that they work with. They would say to you, this is the person we told you about when you were visiting. And you would have that fellowship, that koinonia, that tight-knit um, kinship that you can't have any other way. And I want you to see something in this copy of the Illinois Baptist. Um, I'm looking in the cooperative program, third quarter report, January 1 to September 30. Do you know that out of somewhere around 900 plus IDSA churches, Urban Avenue Baptist Church is number 95, top 100 Illinois churches in cooperative program support through the third quarter of 2022. Did you know that of the top Illinois churches in per capita giving cooperative program support, we are number 61 per capita giving. I won't go through all of those numbers, but um, our total uh, cooperative program giving 
through the first three quarters of 2022 is $9,392.26. It would seem that we're probably going to hit twelve grand. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. You know, we have worked through budget stuff often, and I seem to remember that, that we have our cooperative program percentage at, anybody guess? 10%. So we tithe what you tithe to the cooperative program. We give 10% to the cooperative program, and every year as we go through that, one of the wise men that sit in on that budget and stewardship committee, or used to anyway, says, I don't see how we can afford to drop our cooperative program giving any lower than 10%. And I agree with him. I think God blesses because we do that. I think that's part of the fellowship of giving. I think that's part of the um, just this whole text uh, that we see here. I think that's part of um, the grace that God has given us. And he's given us that grace of giving because he has also given us the grace that he's bestowed on us through Jesus Christ. There's a reason that the Apostle Paul wanted to make sure that the Corinthians continued this. And part of that reason, and people think that there's, you know, they argue about it. And they write, here's what I think. And somebody goes, here's what I think. And somebody goes, here's what I think. But the one I believe is probably the um, strongest reason for him being so insistent on this collection is that um, that he wanted the Jewish Christians to see that God was bestowing the same grace on Gentiles that he was pouring out on the Jews. He wanted them to see that the ministry that he had, um, that they had sent him on, the ministry to the Gentiles, God was using that in a great and a mighty way, and people were being saved. He wanted them to see that um, that this was a, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a fulfillment of the prophecies, that the ancient prophecies, that God was going to um, bring all people a Savior. He wanted them to see that God was doing something in the world through Jesus Christ, who was one of them. And so he wanted to make sure that these Gentiles shared with the Jews so that the Jews would understand that God was working, not just in the Jews, but also in the Gentiles for salvation through Jesus Christ. You know, that's why we give, because God is working to bring salvation in the world. And God could do that all on his own. He could send the Spirit. He could send, you know, have people dream dreams and see visions. He could do all of that, and he does all of that. But he calls us to walk alongside him, to do what we can do. And I think there are three things we can do. One thing we can do is commit to pray that God will work and send, send missionaries all over the world. One thing we can do is go. may not call you to go overseas, but maybe it's this next door. Maybe it's the teller at your bank. And he calls us to give, to give so that others can come. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, and I believe that invitation hymn is, I Surrender All. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And as we sing, if there's a commitment that you need to make, you need to make to follow Christ, to surrender yourself to him once and for all, a commitment that you need to make to join Urban Avenue Baptist Church, 
a commitment that you need to make to give the way God has called you to give and the way he has equipped you to give, then you come while we sing. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. God, I pray that you help us all to exercise the grace, exercise the grace that you have given us and to give the way you call us to. In Jesus' name.